Do you know what a Web3 primitive is? It's part of the infrastructure of Web3. Sam Williams of Arweave created one with his permanent storage protocol. It's now incredibly popular, about 450 million records that can never be changed, permanent storage, stored for as little as half a cent per megabyte. It's an incredible story. They started out in their Techstars program in 2017 in a self-described year from hell. One of the most tragic starts from any startup story you'll ever hear and overcoming incredible adversity. Learn about resilience and persistence in this episode, how 1984, the book, inspired the ROE protocol and all of the things that ROE went through to become so popular and such an important part of Web3 today. My friend and colleague, Pete Townsend, who focuses on Web3 for Techstars, leads the interview with Sam, coming up right now. Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Hey everyone, this is Pete Townsend and I'm thrilled to be the guest host on this episode of the Give First podcast. Here with Sam Williams, one of the co-founders of Arweave. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Great to have you here. Given you're one of our leading names of Techstars grads from Web3, going back to Techstars Berlin in 2018, awesome to be chatting with you. So really looking forward to digging in and learning a bit more about Sam Williams and kind of your experiences over the years. Maybe you could start with telling us a bit about your inspiration to start Arweave. Okay. One day, I basically was walking with my father and it's like, well, what could I do that could, could try and make a small amount of difference? And I really big fan of this philosophy that says it's kind of a version of the think global, act local hypothesis, but not so much local in terms of geography, but local in terms of what's your skill set. There are all these global problems. You're never going to solve them if you just go like, okay, I'm going to solve the whole thing. That's not going to happen for any human on earth right now. But what might happen is if you look at the problem and you like say, okay, well, that's a small chunk that actually I happen to be skilled in order to solve. Well, maybe I could go do that. And so I did. I was walking up this mountain and came up with this idea of, okay, well, one of the problems with authoritarian regimes is that they always try to bend perception of the past. George Orwell had a, a good explanation for this. He said, the person that controls the present controls the past. The person that controls the past controls the future. And he really means this, well, by controlling the way that people think about the world around them, and that a lot of it comes from the context that we think about the world, that is the past, we can control the way that they act in the future. As I have, well... I see a nugget of a solution to that. What if we take blockchains, which are essentially hyper-resilient, decentralized databases of information, and we fill them with records of the past? So you replicate the records of the past in so many countries across the world that they just can't possibly be lost. And that was the impetus for the idea that became Arweave. Tell us a bit about Arweave and, and what it looks like right now. Okay, so... 
back in that story, when we were realizing, you know, if we could create a permanent ledger of history, that was what really caught our imagination in the, in the first instant. After we did that, we realized actually it's just a permanent ledger of all data that anyone is willing to pay to store. And there's two sort of fundamental problems you have to solve in order to do that. You have to make it so that blockchains can store arbitrary amount of data. And that was previously thought to be impossible, but we came up with a, a pretty reasonable method for doing it. And then the second component is, well, you have to make it so that it's economically sustainable to store. And so for that, we, we essentially make it so that the user pays for 200 years worth of storage at current storage costs when they put a piece of data into our. And then as that cost of storage declines over time, that 200 years expands out. And there's this weird thing that happens where if the cost of storage declines more than half a percent in a given year, then you actually end up with more storage purchasing power. So years that the endowment will run for at the end of the year than you had at the start. It's quite strange, but it, it adds up. That essentially incentivizes storage for extraordinarily long times, like into the tens of thousands of years in, in many reasonable expectations of the future. We have a whole thing on our wiki, which is rwiki.rweave.dev. If you're curious about how that works in simulation, you can run it for yourself. So what Rweave does is it provides permanent information storage to anyone that wants it. It's been used by people in the NFT space, for example, to store probably into the hundreds of millions of NFTs at this point. It's, I think, two-thirds of the major collections of NFTs on Solana are all issued on Rweave. Meta uses Rweave to store their NFTs from Instagram and a whole bunch of others. But at the same time, it's also been picked up by people in, for example, Hong Kong. After the national security law was put in place, people on the ground worked with the newspapers that were being shut down, the pro-democracy newspapers, particularly, I think, Daily Apple and The Stand. And they got archives of these newspapers and put them onto Arweave, where they're replicated around the world in a way that they are, to put it mildly, well out of the reach of the any authorities that would want to destroy them. Oh, yeah. We also archived like 70 or 80 million artifacts out of Ukraine. The start of the, the war there, it's very, very tightly covered in Arweave. And of course, there's, there's evidence of all sorts of atrocities there. And now it's timestamped in such a way that you can prove at any point in the future that that data has not been altered which is a really fundamental thing because these things are getting archived like literally minutes after they happen in the real world. So it's very little time to edit them. And then they're stored in a, uh, would you say, cryptographically verifiable record in many places around the world. So they're just not lost. And now you have a really reliable, robust record of what happened in history. You know who I'm seeing in my head right now? Who? John Hurt, who played the main character in 1984 in the Orwell book, obviously turned into a movie. And yeah. him sitting there working at the newspaper that he worked at and scribbling stuff out and then rewriting history. And so you're able to prevent that. That is literally the point. The simple way of explaining what Arweave is to people that have read 1984 is, well, you know, the memory hole. Well, we make the memory hole impossible. In fact, actually, the port that the nodes in the Arweave network speak to each other on is 1984. And the name of the uh, indivisible unit in the network, in Bitcoin, you have a Satoshi. Well, ours is a Winston after Winston from 1984. That was his name. I, yeah. That movie, I read the book in, in high school and then saw the movie shortly thereafter. And that comes into my head in an analogous way for so many different things when it comes to how you think about society. And it's amazing that you've used that really as your opus for what you set out to build with Arweave. Yeah, I, I read 1984 when I was 15 for the first time and it completely changed my worldview instantly suddenly realized, oh, wait, that's what we're walking into. You know, as a 15-year-old, it's hard to, uh, let's say, conceptualize your position in the world on a, on a multi 
decade, let alone century time horizon. But when I read it, suddenly started to click that the things that were happening in the world around me were moving more and more towards that sort of dystopian future. And I think, unfortunately, that's so much more true today than it was five years ago. There was a funny thing when building Arweave that it was almost defensive technology against a future we didn't want to see, not a future that we wanted to see. This is very strange. That's not normally the case with something like this. But my main theory behind it was these changes are happening in society. It looks like it could go in a very, very, very dark direction. It might not. I normally work with the expectation that my more out there ideas are wrong until I can work out why the crowd is wrong. If the crowd doesn't believe something's true, it's always good to go ask the crowd why they believe it. So if the crowd believes that something is true, but you don't, it's always good to go really quiz the crowd. Why do you believe it's that way? That's, I guess, a, a separate topic. But I'd hoped that what I was seeing and, and fearing was coming to fruition was just a figment of my own imagination. It wasn't real. And now five years later, it's not exactly as I'd feared it would happen, but it's pretty damn close. It's actually worse in a lot of ways. And I'm sure, sure glad that we put the effort in up front to build the technology because the whole point was, well, let's build the technology just in case because we won't be able to build the technology later. Now's the time to act to stop the progression. Unless we have a time machine, right? Right. Yeah, it's and, always uh, too late when you try and do it when it's on when you're on the doorstep, if that makes sense. Exactly. And speaking of time machines, let's get yes. into one. Let's sure. go back. What would that be five years ago now? So in late 2017, like you said, that you had been approached by Techstars Berlin about applying for the Techstars Berlin Accelerator program. And then you did. And you went and you did that in the first few months of 2018. Put yourself back into that 2017 version of Sam Williams. What was going through your mind at that point where you're like, you know what, listen, this could be a good idea. And even though you were building a protocol and not a startup, as we talked about, tell me about how that all unfolded. Sure. So I wouldn't say the story of the start of Arweave was particularly fun at all. It was absolutely horrendous in a lot of ways. I think the moral of the story before we get into it is one of hope because it shows that if you really persevere, you can succeed and build what you dream of in some sense. So with that in mind, the story of, of 2017, 2017 wasn't so bad. 2017, we got started. We, we felt extraordinarily lucky to be able to raise what I guess in, in modern day terms, you just call a small pre-seed round, almost an angel round. But it was $400,000. At the time, we thought that was the most money in the world for you thought it was crazy amounts of money. Yeah, and we were, we were excited to be suddenly building full-time on this idea that seemed super out there. I and mean, we were trying to build like a permanent archive of all of humanity's knowledge. And I know I have enough of a sci-fi brain to imagine what that might mean a hundred years from now. <laughs> and so we thought like, you know, this is a crazy big task. Very exciting. So then we, we got into Techstars, which, like I was saying before, opened huge doors for us. I'm extremely, extremely thankful for that. But 2018 started... I would say in the absolute worst possible way, which was that uh, one of our founding team members and a, and a great friend of mine tragically passed away. And oh. it was just a atrocious loss. It was just awful. It was, yeah, it's just, you can't. Sorry to hear that, Sam. Yeah, it's, you know, if we put it to the side for the sake of the podcast, but it, it, that was how our year started. And it was, it was really sort of a hard thing for everyone on the team. We were just a group of friends and that was, I was like, wow. What is happening in the world around us? And, um, and then, you know, we all we had, had to continue those, those jobs to be done. And so that was a few weeks before Techstars started. We all got on a plane from the UK to Berlin 
started up there in a cold, brutal Berlin winter. And you mentioned in the pre-show that Bitcoin topped, topped out at 20K over that Christmas time. And now it's starting to fall fairly quickly. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were trying to keep everything together with this emotional weight around the whole team because, you know, this is really... How did you do that? The worst. How did we do that? Well, actually... You just all, uh, you just all huddled together and said, listen, we're going to go do this. Yeah, I mean, like it's a tough time to go through that. Never mind the beginning of an accelerator program, but you know, at what is basically the beginning of a, a journey of building something amazing together, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, at the time, it felt like the odds were against us. So it, we don't know what we know about Arweave today back then. So it was like we were trying to march out into the wilderness and achieve something. In the first place, it looked yeah, unimaginably hard. Now it looks tough, but it's not impossible anymore. But actually, honestly, one of the things that happened he was supposed to be speaking with Seb, who is now, funnily enough, our COO. But at the time, he was a COO at Texas Berlin. He was supposed to be speaking to him the next day, and I sent him an email, and I said, hey, I'm sorry, we, you know, we can't do this, obviously. Uh, this is why. And he found us a grief counselor for the whole group that, wow. that we, we spoke to. And I was so grateful for that as the CEO of this group. You know, I was trying to lead this group of friends in this battle, and, and so that was a great help. We all were very appreciative of that. So they helped us from before day one of the accelerator, even in a way that was really meaningful. So very thankful for that. And now Sev, of course, Sev and I have been working together for four and a half years now. Wow. And so uh, that was before the accelerator began, then, then things got going. And that was really the, the moment that the business world opened up to us, because as I said, like we didn't know anyone in the business world before that. And Textiles was like a, a radical acceleration of contacts fundamentally, like who, who should we speak to about this? I would equate the um, mental madness to being kind of put in a blender, <laughs> a blender <laughs> for your ideas. And the funny thing is, we came out the other side after all of this advice with broadly the same idea that we went in with. But it was fascinating to be exposed to so many different viewpoints. And did people get it? Did people get it back no, then? No, not at all, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Very few people. And this is a bit of a funny one, like the startup advice for what it's worth that I would generally give to other people and I did for years, not realizing that it's not the advice that I took myself. I can caveat this in a bit, but this general startup advice is that you should not be too attached to your idea. You should just experiment with a whole bunch of different things and then just, just go with what, what actually works well in the market. And you, you cycle through them quickly. Like, don't be afraid of pivoting. And I think that that's largely correct. But the thing that was different in our case was that I and, and other members of the core team felt so personally attached to the mission and what did you say the meaning of the thing meant so yeah meant so much to us that we were willing to wade through anything that was required to get this done and so as i said in some weird sense i would have been kind of okay if no one had ever used this system if society corrected course let's say and everything started getting better and you know everyone was like we don't even need to remember the past because the future is so bright perpetually then i would have been happy that the thing wasn't needed <laughs> as it turns out that's not the world we live in yeah. Yeah. So, so I would say that like, yes, you should, you should not be too attached to your idea and you should pivot around asterisk, but you're probably able to pull something out of the bag that is extraordinarily un unexpected to people if you believe in it enough and if it means enough to you. And that doesn't necessarily mean it has product market fit either. We had a hunch that permanent data storage was a thing that people wanted because people had spent so much in the past trying to archive things. I was walking past the New York Public Library just a few days ago and I was looking at this building. It's like, wow. That thing must cost like tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions per year to run to maintain, say, 
100,000 records. Well, on our week, we have 450 million records. Mm. And it's spread all across the world in so many different places. And you can add your data to that for like approximately half a cent per megabyte. It's just a radical shift in what you can achieve in terms of long-term archiving of data. That was my hunch. I didn't know if it was right. And I was going to do it, frankly, regardless of regardless of whether it was a good business decision, frankly. I think in, in Web3, as you know, Sam, there, there's a term called composability, right? Is that you build a yes. protocol and that others can build on top of that. Yeah. The fact that you had a singular idea for a primitive and that yes. you're hell-bent on getting that primitive to market. If you build it and you're the only ones that then commercialize it and make it successful, then it's not a protocol. It's a business, right? So yeah. your success was, we're going to do this. We're going to be hell-bent on getting this out there and then let others build on top of it as well and let them build this out. And that maybe those, some may be, some may not be more pure startup businesses, but I think that has something to do with it and that you can have that vision and that passion to get something to market a great group of founders can generally pull a lot of rabbits out of hats. I think there's something to that a bit as well. Yeah, that's maybe an interesting one because when we went through Mental Madness, one of the things that came up was like, well, guys, you've got to build a product. <laughs> and like, because it, this was not a Web3-focused accelerator. It was just... Yeah, there weren't any back then. So there weren't any, exactly, exactly. And so our way of thinking about it was to say, well... Probably not, because what we want to be closer to is Bitcoin, which there's no product there per se. It's just raw. It's not even an API. It's like you can you can generate the API if you stick a computer into it. It's very, very um, in the weeds, let's say. Deep tech, I guess, would be another way of thinking about it. And then people productize it and layer on top. That was our strategy, but it's pretty far-fetched to some extent when you're starting out with 400K and nobody even sees why permanent storage would be. There's no market for it, for sure. This was long before NFTs, right? So, I mean, NFTs were the first one where we saw like, ah, okay, look, if you're going to sell a digital commodity or a digital collectible of some form, well, you better make sure it doesn't disappear. Well, how's the best way to do that? Well, you can actually buy permanent storage for a relatively low fee. There's your answer. And the direction we're heading, as you're saying, and thinking about the, hopefully, the utopian version of this and where we can live a portion of our lives in the virtual world, that digital objects and digital goods, digital assets and being able to store those and have records of those forever will be pretty important, right? Because those will be the things that are handed down from one generation to the next in the virtual world. So there's a, a wider application here. And if you apply some, not just science fiction, but science fact to it, that you come towards a reasonable vision here that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Any particular mentors that you're still in touch with, with your, from your time at Techstars? Any one single conversation that stood out as that was really helpful? Honestly, it was Seb. Seb and I, we worked together tightly during the program and then must have been a year later or something. I reached out to him, you know, I did the thing, the, the classic like, uh, oh, I know exactly the person I need for this role. And in this case, it was SEOO. And I was like, ah, oh, but they're, they're doing something else. So I don't want to approach them impolitely about it. But the thing you do is you can email them and say, hey, you're the best person I know in this area. I'm hiring for this thing. Who do you know that might be interested? And in the case... Seb had just left Techstars as it, as it happened for unrelated reasons. And there we go, it's a perfect fit. And so we, we worked together every day. I spoke to him just an hour ago. But if we wind back to 2018, so we're going through the program and, and we're expanding out the reach of people that know about Ali for the same time, the market's crashing, like really intensely crashing, got down to 3K Bitcoin from 20K that year. 
if I recall correctly. And we were finishing off the protocol. And so the, the team was just working like, you know, almost 24 seven at this point. And no one cares about our permanent information storage protocol. They don't want to buy any tokens that I think the price then was like 20 cents. This now, even with the year crypto has had like 10 bucks. <laughs> yep. But at the time, you know, no one, no one saw the use for it. And so then I was desperately trying to get the funding around together. The other half of the team was desperately trying to get the network finished. And it all came to a head. You know, our legal had said that it'd be a good idea to launch the network at the same time that you do the fundraise. So that there's sort of this instant utility for the protocol and decentralization of it. So that was what we we're going to do. But that led to this crazy moment where we finished this funding round, which, which really in that sort of market, while everyone was perpetually disappointed because everything was just on downslope. Yeah, hard thing to do, for sure. <laughs> Couple that with launching a decentralized network, which I used to build operating systems, which I got into because I once Googled what's the hardest thing to build. And I can tell you <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt, <laughs> building a properly distributed or decentralized peer-to-peer -peer information ledger is like a hundred times harder than building wow. an operating system. <laughs> so we're trying to get this thing out there and um, comes ahead on, on launch day. So close the funding. And we're launching the, the protocol. We, we worked for 25 straight hours that day. We got into the office at 10 in the morning. We left at 11 a.m. the next morning. In the meantime, you know, one of our team members on the tech side just dropped out. Like he was just, he couldn't do it anymore. And totally understandably, it was pressure beyond anything, frankly, I've, I felt since. Did he come back? And, no, no, that was wow. infinite. Yeah. So this was not a great time for our team, to put it lightly. This was a really tough. And tough when you were year. going live, was this during the program or after the program? Wow, this was a few weeks after. You know, we we were we were working so hard and so intensely. And also I was an inexperienced CEO. The day that the program ended, we closed a small part of the funding round, like a pre-funding round, like a million dollars versus the eight that we raised in total or something. And I was so focused on that, I, I forgot to think about the fact that we didn't have anywhere to go. There's no office to go to. And so fortunately, very, very thankful, some of our friends at a neighboring startup in Berlin, they said, you guys can have this back room that we have. So they have this like office room that's uh, level with a train track and it's 40 degrees in this room constantly. So that's 40 degrees centigrade. It's like unbelievably hot. Or you open the window, it's on a corner opposite a raised train track. And so when the trains go around the corner, they're making this unbelievable screeching sound. Yeah, so it was pretty rough. Anyway, we, uh, wow. <laughs> we managed to get this thing alive and there's just like three people on the team after that. And we're trying to keep the wheels on the bus. The network is uh, every day there's some drama happening. None of it major, fortunately, but like really he needs nursing through the first three months or so. I'm trying to focus on that as well as the market is crashing around us. We took some really bad advice, I would say, which was to raise from a large group of VCs. That was a terrible idea. We raised for 40 years. I can say with it beyond doubt, that was a full idea. Yes. The idea was, well, you, you want to build essentially a coalition of people that are going to fight for the protocol to succeed. But the problem, of course, is that these things are all about relationships, right? So I can't come to you and ask for a favor when we don't know each other, even if you've invested in my thing. And yeah, well, the market tanked. And, and that's a time where your relationships with, with your VCs and the like are going to be much more intense because people want information and, you know, everyone's afraid and it's understandable because it's not gone the way that we all expected it to go. But of course, if you're trying to deal with 40 different groups, build relationships with them and keep this new network online, and there's three of you. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really difficult. So that took us through to the end of 2018, which I would say, say is our sort of hell year. That was the year from hell. But after that, 
the market bottomed at, I think, nine cents per Arweave token, something like okay. that, which was very, very low. And I wish we'd bought more in retrospect. Of course, it was blindingly obvious. But Hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say, right? Yeah, right. Then it was the start of 2019. And from there, things just slowly started to grow. Like we got a little bit of adoption around the protocol and more people started to learn about it. They started to learn, oh, wait, permanent information storage is a cool thing. And that just started to snowball at a robust pace. But the message I try and give new founders if they're thinking about going through this is like, well, just be resilient. Just keep doing your thing, no matter whether it's raining or shining outside. It really shouldn't matter to you. Because to be honest, the market is going to have crazy, crazy things happen. It's not a sane thing to be around in, in my experience, particularly in crypto. It's so, so volatile. And my hope is that over time it becomes less volatile. But for what it is right now, you've got to be realistic. It's going to be overly excited sometimes and super underexcited other times. And so the best kind of wisdom I've picked up along the way is just be robustly resilient. Just focus on the things that you actually think will matter in five years not the things that people are shouting about, you pump the token price or whatever, just, just focus on the long term. And it, and it does pay off. At the beginning of 2020, we must have been pushing about 500 to 1,000 transactions to Arbiv a day. And a transaction is a piece of data stored. By the end of 2021, that was up to about 5 million. Wow. And our approach has not changed one iota from day one. You just got to be resilient. You got to focus on blocking out the noise, I would say. That's a big one if you're operating in crypto or crypto adjacent space. It's amazing the story and what you guys went through to get it to this point. And you have that experience with Techstars. You met Seb. You had a whole bunch of engagement with mentors that got you out into the open. You got your pre-seed fundraise. You got your main net live. Do you ever think about, in the true give first sense of Techstars, did that whole experience then kind of impact your willingness with some of the things that you do now beyond Arweave? Did that influence your thought process in terms of, hey, I, I am going to go out there and I'm going to give first? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I'm a, a very proud Textiles mentor. And I, I remember my first time mentoring. I was so excited. I, I came and I, I researched all the companies and found the ways that I think I could help or people I knew that might be able to help. I still mentor to this day. I'm, I'm very thankful and very happy to you. Uh, work with people as they come up. I mean, like really, it did such a great thing for us. And, and for what it's worth in our work now, we also try and, would you say, embody the spirit, if you will, of Textiles a little bit while we're trying to foster an ecosystem around Arweave because that is our main job now, the protocol's essentially complete. Yeah, we try and uh, impart that upon, upon the newbies as well. Well, listen, Sam, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you as well for volunteering to be a mentor on the Techstars Web3 program. Appreciate that. And really looking forward to getting you involved and having you have some wonderful chats with the founders that we're going to bring into the program. Amazing. Can't wait. Really looking forward to our next chat. Thank you, Sam. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First. <laughs>